Amen, huh? You catch what he's saying there? It's a powerful seven minutes as he's sharing. It's hard to follow John Piper. This was John Piper 20 years ago in 2000 on a hillside in Memphis at the Passion One Day Conference. And as he spoke, the people in that crowd and many who heard it afterwards began to be changed as they began to find themselves more and more unsatisfied by an empty life of pursuing the stuff of this life and realizing that real life begins by giving up what we have pursued all along and following Jesus. And the scripture passage that we're going to look at this morning comes from this same idea that Piper was sharing with us. I heard this sermon and this story a few years after it was originally preached in 2000 as a young college kid, and I was asking the same questions that many a college kid will ask, that all of us ask, regardless of our station in life, which is, who am I going to be? What am I going to pursue? What am I going to chase after? What ultimately is the purpose and the call on my life? And I found myself, as I heard the Word of God... I found myself less and less satisfied with the things of this world, and I saw the face of Christ through His Word become more and more powerful. And the little things became less and less distracted, and His name and His glory became more and more important. That what does it look like to actually give up one's life in order to, in fact, save it? Piper says, don't waste your life. This morning, we're going to consider the same question, how do I save my life? How do I save my life? Not your best life now. As many a pastor like Joel Osteen will tell us, your best life now that's based on pursuing the American dream and pursuing the right house and the right car and the right situation in life. Rather, how do I save my life by giving it up to follow Christ? This morning we are continuing in our Follow Jesus series that has walked us from beginning and will walk us to the end of the Gospel of John. If you have a Bible this morning, you can go to John chapter 12, and we're going to look at just a few verses this morning. We're going to read from John chapter 12, verses 23 to 26 this morning. I'll be reading in the English Standard Version this morning. Again, grab a Bible to keep if you need one in the back. The scripture says this, chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. 
Let's take a moment and let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful, that it is convicting and encouraging all at the same time. Draw us nearer to you. Show us what it means to save our lives this morning. Lord, where we have been distracted, where we have been blinded, open our eyes afresh to King Jesus and his purpose, his mission, his way, and his life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Four applications from this short passage this morning on how to save your life. Number one is this from the beginning. Save your life by believing the gospel. It all starts here. Listen again to the first two verses to be clear. Jesus answered them, a crowd of people who believed in him and those who did not believe in him. He says this, "'The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified.'" Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He says first, the hour has come. There have been many occasions thus far in the Gospel of John where people who knew him or people who followed him came and asked Jesus for things. There were also moments when people who hated him were trying to stone him to death, trying to kill him. And in each of those situations, Jesus says, or the author of the book John says about it, it was not yet his time. His time for what? Well, Jesus now tells us, it is now my time. It is time for my glory. And this moment in John marks essentially the halfway or the turning point within the book of John. You see, the first 12 chapters that we have now covered covers the three years of Jesus' earthly life and ministry, and the remaining chapters from 12 through 21 will cover one single week of Jesus' life, the final week of Jesus' life on earth, his death and his resurrection and return to heaven. And he says, it is now time. If you want to save your life, then you've got to begin by understanding Jesus' message here because Jesus is on a worldwide mission driven by his love. And he tells us what he means by explaining a grain of wheat. You see, wheat remains unfruitful unfruitful if it keeps to itself if it remains on the stalk alone, but it becomes fruitful when it is thrown to the ground and buried in the soil. Because each grain of wheat contains within it millions of little seeds, and those seeds, when buried in the ground, will ultimately become new life, new wheat plants. Jesus is telling us about his death and his resurrection. He's telling us that his death is imminent, and he is telling us that his death will be a self-sacrificing, self-denying death in order to bring resurrection life, and that he will, in fact, be the first fruits, says a few verses later, that Jesus will be the first fruits from the dead, that Jesus will rise to life, and that all who believe in him and trust in him as their personal Lord and Savior will rise to life eternally with him as well. So because all humanity, beginning with Adam and Eve, including every single one of us, has rejected God, and our sin and our rebellion deserves judgment and deserves justice, holy justice. And in the greatest act of human injustice, 
of all time, bar none, the spotless, sinless Son of God hung on a cross and died for sins that He did not commit. But in so doing, He brought about the greatest gift of freedom and eternal life the world has ever known. The free gift of eternal life by believing in Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. And in his returning then to life after his death, three days later, he made a way for life for us all. And so if you want to save your life, it begins by believing in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Amen? Number two, save your life by living the gospel. This passage goes on, verse 25 again, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Notice that Jesus first begins with the gospel message of salvation and then follows it with our call, our response of obedience, not the other way around. Anything that we do in this life is built solely upon His grace, His death, and His resurrection, and we follow by His grace. This is not self-works. This is not self-righteousness. This is not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. This is not do it yourself. It is live by His power because of His grace in our lives. But Jesus' words in verse 25 seem pretty strange at first glance, do they not? They seem alarming, almost sadistic to say what he is saying, but we should listen to Jesus' statement here that seems odd for two reasons. The first reason is simply this, Jesus already did exactly what he is telling us to do. He's not telling you to do something he wouldn't do. Jesus already did this. And secondly, he succeeded in gaining both his own life and the lives of millions of others. In doing what he did, in sacrificing his death, his life, he gained back his own life and the lives of every single other person who has named Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior from every tribe, tongue, nation, and moment in history. And so we should listen to him because Jesus is on a worldwide mission to save lives. And it is one that by His grace, He calls us to be a part of in following Jesus so that as we come to know and believe in Him, that we might be used as a part of His glorious plan to see more and more other people around the world do the same, come to know and believe and follow in Jesus. That's the plan of discipleship, that one might lead another, that might lead another, that might lead another to know and trust and follow Jesus. He says, lose your life. 65 years ago, this Friday passed, just 48 hours ago, 65 years ago, a world-changing moment took place when Jim Elliott, a young man who had recently been married and recently had their first daughter, moved his family along with four other men and their families to the jungles of Ecuador. Many of you know his story and his life. 65 years ago, they were compelled by a vision. 
Lots and lots of people told them, you are a fool. Why would you give up what you have here in order to go there to a community of people in the jungle known then as the Alka Indian tribe who were so lost and so depraved they did not have a word for God in their language and every other tribe that surrounded them lived in terror because of their violence and their tendency to murder everyone around them and even their own. And this is who they felt compelled to go Two. And if you know their story, you know that within a few days of their very first contact with that Indian tribe, that all five men were killed, were murdered by the tribesmen that they went to share the very gospel with. Was it a waste? Was it a wasted life? Was it a wasted effort? Was it a wasted time? Was it a wasted following after Jesus for them to go and do what they did? Certainly, if they could speak to us, they would tell us, no, it was not a wasted life. And many of us know maybe Jim Elliott's most famous quote that he wrote seven years before the moment that he died while still on a college campus. He wrote these words in his journal, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot earn. And he wrote those words studying the very passage that we look at here this morning. And among other things, we know that in the years that soon followed, that the wives and children of the men who died stayed on in that village and continued to share the gospel. And among many in that tribe who named Jesus as Lord and Savior was Minkaye, one of the very men who specifically murdered the five believers that day. He came to trust in Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior and spent the rest of his life sharing the gospel in his tribe and around the world. Minkaye just passed away in 2020, having lived to be, they think, almost 90 and living a life, not a wasted life, but a saved life, saved in Jesus and saved to share, to live out his purpose and his call to share the good news with others. Because it's only by death that real life comes. One Google report says that Google's Android devices take 93 million selfies every day. 93 million selfies every day. And among the 18 to 24-year-old crowd, oh, how we pray for you, it is reported that they take every third photo they take is a selfie. Some of you are going, what's a selfie? (laughs) Only, says the scripture, when we die to selfie. Only when we die to selfie and live for God do we experience the blessing of being a part of his life-saving mission. Amen? Jesus says to lose our life to gain life, but here's what you don't see. When you read that verse in English, if we were to read it in Greek in which it was originally written, the first word when he says life, to give up life, it is the Greek word suke, which refers to the ego. And the idea that Jesus is telling us is the independent will of man must die so that followers of Jesus can submit to his will. And in the second and the third times that it uses the word life, the life that we take up, it is the word zoe in Greek, which means true life, eternal life. We've got a zoe in the crowd this morning, zoe. It is that word that means real life. Lay down your life 
agenda and take up a Christ-centered life that will matter for eternity. Save your life by living the gospel. Number three, save your life by serving in the gospel. Jesus wants to take us a step further. He says in verse 26, the first half, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Now again, as we think about following Jesus being the foundation, I, like you, hate what is happening in our country this week, this month, this year. For years, we see what we see because we have walked away from King Jesus. And I personally want to be, I want our church to be a part of bringing truth and life and grace and hope and eternal life because only Jesus can fix the problem of sin. He's the only one. I can't do it. You can't do it on our own. But when we are working through Christ, we can see lives changed. And so if you want to serve, if you want to make a difference, Jesus says here it must begin with the foundation of following. If your service is without following Jesus, it will ultimately be meaningless. It will be seed scattered to the ground that cannot bear fruit. But that's not all he says. He says, if anyone serves me, which is an odd thing to say. Why would we serve Jesus? And in fact, we could ask the very logical question, how do I do that? Jesus is back in heaven until the day that he returns. How do I serve Jesus? Jesus. That seems strange. If he is Lord and I am just one human being, how do I serve Jesus? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 25, where he gives us exactly the answer. For I was hungry and you gave me food, says verse 35. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. This is you and me. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You see what he's saying? You know, there were generations of Christians who came before us that, that took this seriously, and things like hospitals and missions and the welfare of the poor and the needy and the hurting, in every sense, Christians led the way in changing lives. But not so much anymore. We seem to have lost that vision for what Jesus has very clearly called us to. Serving Christ, serving Christ means that. It also means that among us, there are many, not a few, but many of us who will call, be called short-term and long-term to go around the world as missionaries in Jesus' great mission to share His message of grace. Not a few, but many. And all of us are called to be missionaries right here in our city, in our town, in our neighborhood, in the place that we live, the places that we work, the places that we learn, the places that we play. We are all called to be on His mission. And what about here at New City? The only way that we as a church will succeed in Jesus' mission here in our own city is if we all die to self and selfie, and live for Christ. 
all of us. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That means it is not about any one person. It is not about any one pastor at any church. It is not about one particular personality. It is not the Ben show here at New City. I use that as a joke often, but it is absolutely true. It is not about me. It is about us. It is about Jesus and his glory, and it is about all the saints being called actively to do the works of ministry, to see our city made new by and for the gospel. It is about all of us living a sacrificial, self-denying life of service that lifts up the name of Jesus. Because 100% of us are called to be evangelists in this room or on the live stream this morning, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Do you know that every single believer is gifted with at least one, if not multiple, spiritual gifts that God has given you to grow His kingdom and to edify and bless and strengthen and encourage His body? What is Jesus' body? It's us. It's you and me and all of us. It is the body of Christ, the church. Not a building. We get that. We don't even have a building. We rent space. The church is the people, all of us, and there's always room for one more and two more and three more. We have got to be a church that prays dependently because it's not based on personality or persuasion or our ability in any way, shape, or form. It is about the the call of God's people asking God to do what only He can do and what we could never do ourselves. And so I would love to see every single person in our church praying before the service every single Sunday, calling upon God to do what only He can do because we must pray with dependence. And that each one of us on our own as we spend time with the Lord Jesus every single day, that we are lifting up our city and our nation and our world and crying out, Lord Jesus, we are broken and we cannot fix it, but you have made a way. You have already come. You have already brought life. Help us to be a part of your mission to save lives. We've got to be a church that is growing in biblical community, discipling one another. I know that COVID has derailed almost every part of our lives to some degree or another, but we must get back on the rails. And so for us, we lost our city groups, which was legitimate to stop them for the sake of safety. But as God leads here in the next several months, we need people who want to lead city groups for the sake of discipling one another, that it can be a place of encouragement, of going to the Word together and praying for one another, that it's a place where there is always room for one more. So as people join our church, they can get to know one another and be a part of what Christ is doing in our discipleship groups or discipleship triads that we are challenging and encouraging and pointing one another towards King Jesus. And among our kids and our youth, right? The world is educating our children every single day with lies. They are not going to know the truth of Jesus unless we tell them unless we show them, unless we live it out and by God's grace that our words and our actions might match up together. We have all got to be a part of discipling the next generation of our children and our youth that they can know 
Jesus, that we can tell them the stories of the Scripture, the stories of Jesus, that we can show them how to apply it to their lives, that we can teach them how to defend and share their faith in Jesus, that we can prepare our children for persecution as believers because Jesus says that all of us will experience that because following Him will mean following in what He has experienced particularly in what is, as the Scripture says, a crooked and depraved generation. We've got to teach them to pray. We've got to teach them to obey God, teach them to know, trust, and follow after Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. If we do not teach them, no one will. And you say that sounds like a lot. Yes, it does. And if you want to save your life... Save it by giving it away. Save it by giving it away in service to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fourth, finally, in closing, very briefly, save your life by hoping in the gospel, by hoping, trusting in the gospel. Jesus ends with a promise, verse 26, the latter half, where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. First, he says, I will be with you. This is the great commission promise that Jesus is always, always with his people. I would rather be with Jesus in the worst of any circumstance than spend one moment in what is, quote unquote, the best life ever without Jesus. Amen. I don't care what this world may bring. I want to be with Jesus, and Jesus promises by his strength to be with us. He called you. He died for you. He rose for you. He is daily sanctifying you. He sent his word and his Holy Spirit to lead and guide and comfort you. And then he says, the Father will honor you. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light momentary affliction... For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The moment of suffering in this life by comparison to the greatness of eternity with the Father who says to us, come up here, take this crown, sit on this throne with my son, King Jesus, and reign with him for all eternity. The Father will honor you, is the truth that we hold on to, and it is why we believe the verse that says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Amen? Let's pray to our good and loving Savior and King this morning.